Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast in which I, your host Mark Ducano, talk to clever, articulate people in celebration of that most subjective and undefinable concept, comedy, and, in a cruel and unusual twist, ask my guests to try and define it. As my guest this episode would probably say, we don't feel our emotions in our heart, but in our amygdala. For she's not only a comedian, but a scientist who, with her regular panel show Comedy for the Curious, addresses issues of love, fear and personality from a scientific and comedic perspective. She'll be taking this show and her solo show Million Dollar Maybe to this year's Edinburgh Fringe, where I'm sure audiences will take her to their amygdala. Comedian Robin Perkins. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How have you been? I'm all right. Yeah, I am all right. I'm good. I have coffee, which I'm clinging to for dear life. Uh, <laughs> and I am good to go. Don't worry. <laughs> Terrific. Okay, so obviously you're an American. So I want to understand the timeline here from um, being a, a scientist in the US to being a comedian in the UK. What's What came first? The, the, <laughs> the science, the comedy? <laughs> definitely, the, definitely the science. So yeah. uh, I... It was signed. Well, I wanted to be a marine biologist from the age of six and then went basically went to university, had some internships and then uh, worked a bit uh, in science and then decided that that was not for me. I needed to be more <laughs> creative, uh, mm-hmm. at which point I did architecture <laughs> as okay. well. Yeah. So I, I did a couple of years as, uh, uh, in architecture school and then switched to landscape architecture. Uh, which I usually just say architecture because um, people think that landscape architecture is like planting gardens, which it is not (laughs) Um, very different. Um, But so I did that and that's actually what brought me over to the UK. Um, So Mm -hmm. to work in at a firm uh, in old streets and then fell in love with London and then Mm -hmm. switched to a much bigger firm uh, worked on the 2016 Rio Olympic Park was like the last thing oh, I worked. Wow. On. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in around that time, I basically started comedy. I had my first gig in begin. Well, I had one gig in 2011, so kind of 2012. Um, and then <laughs> was kind of doing both at the same time, uh, mm-hmm. and then quit my day job in 2015. So uh-huh. now I am full-time doing comedy. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. And, and in that, which I'm very lucky in that I got uh, my legal rights to be here through architecture. So. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But I, I don't talk about the architecture side of my past because it's yeah. not as funny. So, <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the, but the, there is a lot of crossover. So in landscape mm. architecture, because we're working on systems and, like there was a lot of uh, research in it. So there's that research mentality of things like I worked on a, a hospital in Vienna and so did like two weeks of intensive research on mm-hmm. like healing gardens and healing landscapes and what, like how to decrease your stress levels outside of medicine and right. how, like what kinds of actual things that you can do to decrease healing times and had physical therapy garden. So there's a lot of uh, that whole thing of uh, like wow. research being applied to the arts um, through yeah. landscape architecture. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. That's a lot more intense than I would have yeah. <laughs> <than I> <laughs> expected. Yeah. 
what made you make the change into comedy? What was it to sort of say, I'm going to take all of this training and learning and I'm going to say, oh, I'm not going to be a clown instead? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like it's, um, it, I got into comedy on a whim. Mm-hmm. So I was, when I was at the um, architecture firm, a friend of mine was like, I'm going to do a comedy course. Do you want to do it with me? And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, <laughs> sure. Uh, and I had, I mean, I do, it's not the first profession I have gotten into on a whim. <laughs> kind of the exact <laughs> thing happened with architecture. And mm-hmm. I've just, in both situations, actually threw myself into it, knowing nothing and had yeah. very similar experiences. Like when I, um, the first day of architecture school, we went around introducing ourselves and everybody had to say who their famous architect or their favorite architect was. Right. And I knew nothing about architecture because this was <laughs> like one goal for me. So I just copied the person before me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the first day of this comedy course, again, we're introducing ourselves and have to say our first, like our favorite comedian. And I mean, luckily I could, I did come up with one on my own, uh, but that's because very randomly when I, at one point in time, I was doing coral reef research in Grand Cayman, um, Mm -hmm. actually saw Mitch Hedberg live, Uh which is uh, incredible. Yeah. But I had, I mean, I had no idea how, how much, how important that was, but it was my first stand-up comedy gig. And Mm. I still remember some of his set, like it was, it was an incredible experience, but yeah, it was, yeah. it was on a whim. Just took a comedy course, fell in love with it. And yeah. Yeah. And how did the course, did, did it end with like a, um, a showcase and we yes. have to perform? Yeah. And how did that go for you? Um, really well, actually better and better than yeah. most people expected. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, um, I think most people in the course don't still do stand up. I would say I'm trying to think there's one of them went on to write um, a BBC sitcom and was quite Mm -hmm. successful. Um, And I think apart from that, I'm the only one who's still going maybe. Um, But throughout it, because I, I think a lot of people in the course had some sort of knowledge as to what stand-up comedy was. And I had gone to right. probably about four or five stand-up comedy gigs in my life. So I didn't yeah. know. Um, and then something happened when I actually learned the jokes that I was writing. And at mm-hmm. and during the showcase, everyone was like, wow, Robin's actually good. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it went really, it went really well. I, yeah, it, yeah I, I used it for my video for a very long time and recently rewatched it or got about, <laughs> I got about yeah. a minute in. I, my girlfriend was like, you got to turn this off or I am never going to want to kiss you again. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, yeah. But for a first wow. gig, it was good. <laughs> so comedy wasn't a huge part of your life beforehand when you were, you know, as a researcher. You went. You yeah. say you went to one gig and then like maybe four gigs. So you didn't go to a lot of shows or think, you know, this is an option for way down in the future. No, and I I feel bad saying that because uh, I I feel like it should have been a lifelong thing. It just wasn't. And granted, from the second I held a mic, I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I love I love how comedy has an opportunity to send a greater message like it can it can just be 
funny, but it also can be more than just funny. And yeah, yeah. I, so I love that. Was it always um, part of the plan that you would introduce the science into the comedy? Did you know that from the outset? No, that's also another interesting story. Is <laughs> <laughs> so for a while I was just telling dick jokes. Uh, mm-hmm. That was it. I was very superficial dating stories, mm-hmm. and um, I was friends with Binti of Hot Water, and they were at this point in time still in the Holiday Inn and had just bought like seal street and they wanted um basically they were like we need a design do you want to help us out so i went up to liverpool for three days and pinty and i just drew like actually designed uh the club and before i left like took spray paint cans we had a contractor in and basically laid out everything and so design the club for them. But in those three days that I spent with Binti, he was like, no offense, but you are way more interesting than your comedy would suggest. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> and that, I don't know, something there started triggering, like, actually, I have a past. Maybe I should um, look into this. And in writing some bits um, mm. with other people, my way of thinking I always thought everybody did this so like for example if you wanted to um, write a bit on a roller coaster my first instinct is to go okay let's do some research when were roller coasters invented like how many people have died on them all of these like I get the facts and then write the jokes on that and so even in the dating bits that I did there were things about like I mean this is going to sound really bad because they're really old jokes and no, but there is one about um weight watchers and like the point system and how like you could sleep with men to like calculate the points to like decrease you could keep more money and like how you but even then there's like this mathematical equation of like okay if i sleep with this guy that's really rambunctious then i can have a candy bar later like that kind of <laughs> premise uh i had a, a math problem about wanking on the tube like it <laughs> of course yeah yeah of course it just those <laughs> things where i guess that's just the way my brain works of like oh let's turn it into math and science and then as soon as i started to do that writing became a lot easier and a lot more natural mm. but also kind of learned that that is not the way that most people write material <laughs> start with research and then go into the jokes um so I did a bit of that for a while. And then the first time, or the la- actually, no, I think it was the last time, because I'd have my solo shows that would combine science and comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my club set was still quite different. And the last yeah. time I was in Australia, um, I was doing a week at the Sydney Comedy Store and had, it was hanging out with um, the guy who runs it, but then also one of the other acts that was on and they were like, I don't understand why you don't do science comedy in your club set. I was like, because I don't think they, I don't think people can like <laughs> take it. it. And, and that one also the next set, they were like, if you don't do so, I am going to introduce you as a science comedian so that you have to do it. And like, <laughs> um, so, which was, I think that was Valentine's day, like around Valentine's day of 2020. So 
yeah. So, I mean, the love stuff did work, but then I was like, all right, you know what? I am going to start doing this. So that was another big moment that changed everything. But um, mm-hmm. then a couple of weeks later, we went into lockdown. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that is where Comedy for the Curious was born. And yes. Yes. Uh, so that's really changed a lot. So now if you look at my club set, it's probably about 50, 50 of, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you don't tell that it's science comedy, but there's like, I've, I've learned yeah. better how to like slip in the facts. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like Do I'm you... just rambling now. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, so yeah. So let's talk about uh, comedy for the curious then. So, well, how would you describe it? Is it, would you call it a mixed bill or would you call it like, it's almost like a panel? <laughs> how does that yeah, work for I... you? <laughs> I've been struggling. Oh, the marketing of it is really tough because if you side too much with the science, then you alienate the non-scientists, but it's not overly, yeah. it's not overly science. And I've learned how to do science comedy in a way that you don't have to know anything about science to find it funny and get it. But then equally, yeah. if you ignore the science, then people don't know what they're watching. And also it could be a selling point. So I've really struggled about trying <laughs> to get the balance. Um the best tagline that I've come up with is a stand-up comedy panel show with the science twist mm. because yeah. It, yeah, it's about like 60, 70% stand-up comedy and then 30, well, about 50, 50, maybe chat and then game. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> have you found people um, who were watching particularly because it was online? Did you find that you worried about whether the, the science was overpowering or like people go oh, what, what, what are you talking about I don't understand um well we did we found a really good format on zoom so yeah. and luckily our numbers weren't so ridiculous that we kind of <laughs> we could leave people's mics on or actually it was pretty self-regulating so right found out that the people who were okay with having their mics on was actually mm. pretty low around like 15 people and that gave enough of a laughter to kind okay. of see and you can see people's faces and how they're engaged um, yeah. having said that we do draw a crowd that wants that kind of thing so sure. far, yeah. um they're going to be more engaged but yeah it's <laughs> it's they interesting. Weren't just sat there with their jaws open and yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> so we've done it we've done it live a few times um mm-hmm. and it's been for the most part good like for the yeah. most part like it's it, we've had a really positive response um having said that most of the live ones have been like love personality um yeah. confidence things that like topics that are generally more yeah. universal um mm-hmm. but also i mean it has gone down really well but i don't again i don't know if that's because people who have come are already into that kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think about <laughs> the show. Cause the, it's also really tough because I was during lockdown writing mm-hmm. a new topic every week, which is yeah. insane when I think about it. Cause it's just <laughs> like it, doing the research and then writing a 15, like it basically 1800 word monologue after yeah. the research which is you know a third of an edinburgh show <laughs> every <laughs> week and so once we came out of lockdown i haven't been able to test 
the show in the way that I want. Like normally when I write a bit, it is new until I have done it 10 times. And even still, yeah. it's kind of new. And then when I've done it 50 times, then I'm like, oh no, this is a bit that I like. Whereas this, I'm like writing it, performing it when I like within hours of me finishing writing it. And then I'm trying to yeah. take it to the stage. So um, I think probably one of the worst responses in terms of audience laughter um, yeah. was we did confidence and imposter syndrome and mm -hmm. it wasn't that people didn't like it they did I just I think in that show because it had only been performed online twice maybe three times and then live in front of an audience I don't know if yeah. it just wasn't tight enough or I didn't know it well enough which is also a very important thing and yeah. I don't know or if it was just too dense of science I don't know or maybe it was just the crowd on the day you just mm. I mean you can't you, you absolutely cannot evaluate the quality of a show when you've only done it yeah. once <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but we'll see I mean we're taking it up to Edinburgh mm -hmm. so we have four subjects on rotation right. um, which is good we will see but they are again the easier not easier the topics that I have done the most so while we're on the subject of doing zoom shows you also have a another show called uh, laugh train home which you also did over zoom and it's currently it's got two venues for that i think is that right yes but i uh yeah so i did do it over zoom a bit uh mm -hmm. it was very short-lived i think it was only like a few months and then realized that that's not really what I want to be focusing on. Um, right. So it was fine. It was just a, I think the difference is, so this is the reason why I just gave you a look, which you can't hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that I, so Laugh Train Home, I started in 2013 mm -hmm. so that I could learn how to MC. And right. now I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have recently handed over the laugh train home to other people so i am no longer laughing okay. which mm -hmm. is very well it's technically so the one of the venues i mean we've had anywhere between i think we had up to four venues maybe at one okay. point in time mm -hmm. um the thursday nights which are now a new material night are run by jacob hatton and mm -hmm. uh i am handing over i mean it has been handed over but uh ben vanderveld of good ship is taking on the battersea one um and so my last week of booking and being involved is august 17th right which is a very exciting and big step for me to yeah let go <laughs> and so. is that because you've got other projects or or just more to concentrate on why, why the change it's I think a, a bunch of reasons. I think mm -hmm. I I want to focus on me and my brand and who I am as a comedian. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the shows, Laugh Train Home is a lineup show of comedians and yeah. it can exist without me. It's just a lineup, not just a line, but it's a lineup of comedians. Yeah. Um, Comedy for the Curious is me. It's who I am and it can't exist without me. Like if I don't, if I get sick, the whole show has to pull because it is my science comedy that is the core of, of the show. Yeah. Um, and so I think if I'm going to put time into something, it will be that. And I, I don't have time to do both. I mean, Laugh Train Home on the Wednesdays, the one that you've been to, um, runs weekly throughout the year. And it's 
relentless um acts canceling just it yeah. takes way more time than you think um and i want to be seen as a comedian i like as a host as a science comedian i don't want to be seen as the person who runs left train home okay it's a big step but it's an exciting one (laughs) (laughs) um so even though uh you approached comedy on a whim did you how did you draw inspiration from the comedians that you'd seen beforehand was there anyone who sort of thought you know this is that's the sort of person that i want to be perhaps um i think i I did once I started, I actually, I had a, I had a little note. Um, I had a secret note in my phone that every time somebody would mention a comedian that I clearly should have known, um, <laughs> I would, but didn't. And I'd always be like, eh, and then I'd write it down in my little note in my phone of comedians that I should know, um, which I'm just <laughs> looking into my phone. Cause I, it would be probably really embarrassing. Um <laughs> Of the people that people were like comedians, I should know. Emma Phillips on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Beth Weiss, Mark Steele. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's an eclectic mix. <laughs> it is an eclectic mix. Um, Michael Palin. Um, yeah, I would just sneak it up. And then <laughs> yeah, just because I didn't want to, I don't want to be like, oh. <laughs> Chris Rock, never heard of him. Um, but, <laughs> but I think once I got going, the two people that have influenced me the most, maybe, would be Robin Ince and Sarah Pascoe. So Robin, obviously for the, but like the science comedy, but I think stylistically, like his, his yeah. energy and the way that he performs and like a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not the same people, obviously, like personally, we're very different, but at, in terms of like stylistically and, and using science to talk about everyday life yeah. um, is very much, yeah, what I do. And, mm. and Sarah Pascoe, I've just, I've always admired her way to talk about bigger issues embedded in, in comedy in a really accessible way. So. Yeah. How do you feel that your comedy or comedy in general is seen or approached differently in cross-culturally, like in the States? And obviously you mentioned your, your shows in Australia. How does it come across? What Do you have to make changes? Do you have to rewrite whole sections or do is it broadly understood? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's broadly understood. I mean, obviously there's individual specific references that you have to change every time you go to a, like names and products and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think there is more of a similar... There's more of a crossover, like a more fluid transition between Australia and England than is in the U.S. I don't mm-hmm. perform a lot in the U.S. Um, and I think there's many reasons for that. I mean, I I don't go home that often, but also the Boston scene is a very odd one to break into because it's very... I sound like them, so I'm no longer exotic, (laughs) like a visiting comedian, but I'm not there enough to become one of them. Um, But it was interesting. I I had a joke that I did ages ago about um, American cocktails, which I don't know if you know this, that um, especially around Boston, New England, but I think Mm -hmm. it's all over the States. We have a very famous and loved drink called the Irish car bomb where you have a half of a shot of Jameson, half a shot of Bailey's and you drop it in a Guinness and you down it. 
And okay. it's very that sounds horrible. And, yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't drink it fast enough, it curdles. Like it's not like, a, um, and it's, you do it a lot at university. I mean, it's all over university. And mm. um, weirdly, so before I moved here, like it is, you drink them on St. Patrick's Day. It is seen as a tribute to the Irish because we love them, which is in like, you just sit there and like, how, how, how have you not thought that through? Like, how have you not thought that through? And it wasn't until I moved to the UK that I was like, Oh, that's offensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now any comedian that knows that fun little fact is going to draw an analogy between an Irish car bomb and nine 11. It's just going to happen. Uh, I'm not the only comedian on the circuit that has one. Um, but I have one where I went through all of like the offensive cocktails because we had another one that was like a long Island iced tea um, and then you add blue carousel and it's called a Mongolian motherfucker, which I'm like, is nice. morally wrong, historically accurate. <laughs> fine. Uh, then you have like the one where it combines um, Midori and uh, pineapple juice um, and they call it a Pearl Harbor. So, yeah, I mean, these are. It, like it's it, it, again and, and Americans don't think that like wow that's really offensive so then of <laughs> course I am like that's like ordering a double Manhattan on the rocks and calling it a Twin Towers now it's <laughs> no I mean it's, it's fine <laughs> like it's not the most inventive like if you actually anybody that had my sort of knowledge you know of the drinks fine yeah. uh but I did that joke in the states at a gig and somebody was just like you are so brave doing that joke i mean if somebody were to just video you and put you on youtube you just get canceled immediately <laughs> and i was surprised at the fear of cancellation because it's like it's not the most inventive joke it's not like it's fine but I wouldn't call it especially edgy. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. I'm just like, no, it's just a fact. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So that was surprising that people were, I felt like people at least on the, on the ground level in Boston were yeah. weary of cancellation as much as they were. And that was probably back in like 2017, 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started out in comedy in, uh, let's say, 2012, you did a lot of the competitions. Did you do like gong shows and things like that? How did they go? I think I've only, the only gong show I've ever done is the blackout, I think. I mm. hated those. Um, <laughs> I, so my competition year was going to 2015, although I did, I made it into the Bath New Act finals in 2012, and it still remains to this day one of my top three worst gigs I've ever done in my entire life. Wow. Um, yeah, that was, but it's the year Harriet Kemsley won. And uh, they, I'm also, I'm almost like proud of this actually. The not proud of it. That was a weird way to say that. Um, <laughs> I should not have been there. I was in a, I had been going like three months, and everybody else had been going well over a year. And <laughs> There was a review and it said, are the new acts any good? Emphatically, yes, with the possible exception hey. uh, of an American girl with a spectacularly wow. obscene rant about her genitals. Um, and I was very grateful that the reviewer did not mention my name in it. <laughs> so it's actually, 
quite hard to find. <laughs> However, <laughs> uh, it was it was a gig in Bath at, on a Sunday night, and mm. you had to do seven to eight minutes of material, and I had seven minutes of material, and I didn't have the experience. I mean, I if you gave me the same jokes I had now. Mm-hmm. I could sell them and I could own it and be like, look, you guys don't want sex material, but this is what you're going to get, right? This is, all <laughs> I literally, I have to do it. So either get on board or get a drink or check out your phone. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and I could have done it, but I didn't have the experience and I died horribly. Um, oh. But my main competition year was 2015 and I made it mm-hmm. to the finals of like a lot of them like around there it was uh english comedian of the year made it to the finals of that um i think it was his first year um funny women laughing horse um bobby knight's competition there's one another one up north that i made it to the finals but then was out of the country so couldn't go um there are a bunch Mm -hmm. there was like yeah at least six i think yeah However, I wasn't ready. I was fine. My material wasn't interesting enough. I, because it was just dating stories. My, I was talking twice as fast as I do now on stage, which is ridiculous. Like, (laughs) I listened back to some of the recordings and like, I can't even understand what I'm saying. Yeah, it was, I just wasn't ready to get enough out of them. So while I made it to the finals of a lot of things, I was very much middle of the road to the bottom of the road of the finals. So, I mean, English comedian of the year, I did kick ass like there. I did. I had a good, I had a really good gig, but yeah. Yeah. Who won that? I think Jack Campbell won. Scott Bennett, I think came in second that year. Maybe he won. Maybe Scott won. Maybe he won. I don't know who won that year. That was the year. I was in. Anyway. uh, But yeah, those, I mean, competitions are, it's a weird thing. It is, it's so high pressure and you think it's everything and it can be, but if I had it to do over again, I would have waited. Right. Do you think um, competitions have an impact on, on, on a career, on your career? Weirdly, I think it hurt me. Okay. (laughs) Because... I don't think I was ready. And I think a lot of industry saw me being fine. And I am really struggling now. Now that I am good enough, I am really struggling to get industry to notice me. And I don't know if that is because I was seen as a promoter for so long. I don't know if they have a vision of me, of what I was in 2015, 2016, which Mm. I'm not that same comedian. Um, But I... I don't think the competitions helped me. They may have in the short term to get people's attention, but I wasn't ready for their attention. And I didn't know that. Well, how do you feel about awards and reviews either personally for you or just generally, do they have merit? Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of competitions that do have merit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, for example, so you think you're funny. I think it's really good that you, they have a time limit as to when you can enter. So everyone's on the same playing field. Having yeah. said that, the amount of people that get in there and do that show by being like, well, I wasn't regularly gigging until here. So actually <laughs> uh, I can still be a part of it. And you're like, mm, I was <laughs> like, yeah, like on technicalities, for example, when I did So You Think You're Funny, I had been going yeah. 
three months and had nothing but dick jokes and obviously didn't make it very far at all. Uh, Julia actually wrote me because after the after the heat, you had to send your semifinal dates. And I wrote to her and was like, look, I know I'm not getting through. Here are my dates, but I know. <laughs> and she was like, look, she was like, you have really great stage persona, but your jokes aren't good enough. So talk to me when they are. Um, yeah. Which is very sweet of her. But in my heat was Ashling B. And that, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there is. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. I was like, I'm not getting through. Uh, but I think she had been <laughs> acting for a while before that. And so for me, I had never been on a stage prior to, you know, but um, which is. So it's, t- it's tough to get people in the right playing field. I think the. I think competitions are a really good way to get people to be seen who haven't been seen because I think right. they're closest thing to a meritocracy. If like, if you have ones that are set up with like proper judges that don't have the don't, or like it, as long as the people who are running aren't the competition, aren't skewing the results at all. Um, I think they can help. I think they didn't mm-hmm. help me because I have a very American mentality and I'm like, just do it. You can do it. You're awesome. And I was not ready. Uh, I mean, the only thing being in the funny women final, uh, Don Ward was one of the judges and at, off the back of that, I got a five at the comedy store, which, mm. so that's why I never had to do the gong. Um, but after <laughs> he had a very, when I tell the story, some people make it, say that it comes off bad but I think it was very honest like it was harsh but honest and he was absolutely right I had my talk I think it was after my first 10 when he was like look I'm gonna use a football analogy don't know if you watch <laughs> football and I was like no and he was like look here at the comedy store we have premier league material you don't have championship league material <laughs> I was like, oh just like a gut shot but at the same time absolutely right that was like 2015 i didn't have good material i like my jokes weren't he was 100 percent right um so i think in that case like competitions if if you wait long enough if you wait till you're ready then they are a mm. good way to get your name out there yeah. but you don't have like mentors to be like i'd wait another year like nobody's yeah. gonna nobody's gonna sit you down and tell you that um I think reviews are tough because I think there is no regulation as to who can review your show. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's also because there are so many people that want them. It is obviously really hard to get one. And in that sense, It is, if you are somebody who is struggling for industry, like acknowledgement, Mm -hmm. if you are not one of the cool kids, you're not going to get a review. Like I, uh, 2019, I brought up, you know, like this amazing show and my PR managed to get Chortle in, which I got four stars on Chortle, which is a great show. Like there are not a lot of shows that got four or higher from Chortle. And mm-hmm. didn't get any more reviews. Like no, it, like at no point in time did any of the reviewers go, "Oh, maybe that's a good show that we should review." Mm-hmm. Um, and like I got, I managed to get Fringe Biscuit in 
as well because they like I personally, but mm-hmm. it's so hard to get people in and you review the popular shows that, that everyone's buzzing about. And so I think that yeah, from that standpoint, it's while it's really helpful, it's also really hard if you're not one of the cool kids in comedy. Yeah. Controversially, I think that I think that all reviews should be paid for. I think um I think that there should be like a standard rate okay. for reviews. And I think mm-hmm. this is like very controversial. I get this. Like you're giving mm-hmm. me this look like, ah, uh, no, I'm I, just, I'm enthralled. That's uh, so uh, because I think that if it was regulated more then there would be a certain level of standard for mm-hmm. reviewers. I had two reviewers come in drunk 15 minutes late and drunk to review my show. And then when I contacted the publication, they at first apologized. Then they were like, well, I've just talked to them. They said that that's not what's happened. And I'm like, I record every single one of my shows. I have it on audio. I have it on video that they showed up late. were drunk and heckling. And then they were like, well, we'll just agree to disagree. And I was like, that's bullshit. (laughs) It's bullshit that you don't believe me. Um, But so I think that there, there should be some sort of like, some sort of regulation, but also I think if it was, if everyone was paid for, then there'd be a bigger opportunity for more reviewers. Cause right now Edinburgh is so expensive. The publications are going up for like two days because yeah. they're not getting paid and not that it would be like a lot, but you could, I don't know, like 30 quid, 40 quid, 50 quid, something where it's like the yeah. hour of time to watch the show and an hour to review it. And then you have like a certain level of experience or like a, I don't know. I just think that that way, the little guys that aren't the popular people could actually get reviewed so that if yeah. you have a really great show, people could know about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I think. And I think that's my, that's my biggest frustration with Edinburgh is that, I came back from that fringe in 2019 and a friend of mine who's an author brought a friend to see like my show that I did at angel Mm -hmm. a couple weeks after the fringe and this friend of a friend, her husband is a TV producer. And after the show, she was like, I went up to the fringe with him for two weeks, specifically scouting for female new comedians. And your show is better than anything I saw. And I don't know why we wouldn't go and see it two weeks mm. just to get, seek out new female comedians. And I was not on the list. Yeah. And it's not yeah. like a, I was in a, I was at underbelly. I had a producer. I count yeah. on not on the list. And it's, it's very, <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough to try to get noticed. So yeah. I've now gone into a rant about, yeah, I sound very no, <laughs> I have a controversial opinion about reviewers. I, I want to hear it. Let me know. What do you think? I think there should be a capacity based limit on, what shows they can review. So if it's a big stadium or arena, you're not allowed in, basically. They don't need you. And we know it's yeah. going to be good because there's going to be a thousand people there. You should, so if you, if reviewers can only go into small shows, then yeah. those people are going to get reviews and going to get exposure. Plus it will force big names to go into small rooms and then that will help support small venues. Yeah, it's true. That's my opinion. Um, I mean, it's been thrown out there of like a capacity limit for somebody had said this and it seems like a it seems like a crazy idea but a capacity limit for all venues at edinburgh because Mm -hmm. if you 
if you're I like in a, I see both sides of the argument that if yeah. you want a really big name, like having a big name at the fringe will draw people to go to the fringe full stop. And that is good because people will see other shows while they're up there. On yeah. the other hand, if you sell out a, a thousand seater, that is, you know, 950 tickets that are not being sold for somebody else. You know, that's like yeah. it's a thousand seats that can fill what? Two yeah. show no, uh, twenty shows. Yeah. That would fill twenty shows. That w- that would sell out a, a like twenty shows in paid venues. Yeah, and definitely. so I don't know, but I know reviews are a tough thing. When I go to the fringe every year, I set a financial limit because I see as many shows as possible, and I don't have any money. So I say, <laughs> well, I'm not paying more than like it used to be ten pounds, but I had to bump it to twelve this year because all the prices have gone up. Um, but basically, you say, well, if you're priced over this amount, I'm not going because you're too big. So I'm going to go and see the smaller venues. I go to a lot of free fringe venues and places like that. Yeah. So that way, you meet all the new comedians. Yeah. And you hear all the new newest material and fresh upcoming ideas and things instead of seeing the stuff that you've probably seen and heard on on telly already yeah (laughs) just a theory like that yeah (laughs) so have you had a moment then um where you something happened it might be an instance on on stage or it might be a comment from another comedian or something moment in time that you just said yeah this is i'm doing exactly the right thing this is perfect for me that's really hard I'm also really indecisive, so. Um, well, it doesn't have to be one if you've got more than one. <laughs> I know, I'm just like, this can't is pick really hard. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've had one of my coolest moments performing um, was in Perth Fringe World when I did like a, on the last Saturday, my normal venue was something else. And so I did a 350-seater theater. And... Mm-hmm. And it's not that I haven't done nights that are bigger than that, but it was doing my hour and knowing that those people were coming just to see me. And that's yeah. quite a different thing where it's like, I've been on mixed bills of bigger, bigger shows, but that was like, yeah, all of you people are coming just to, just for me. Like that's you, you're only, I'm the only comedian that's on. Um, that was really yeah, special. Um, and getting, the four stars in Chortle was pretty awesome. Um, it's going to sound really lame, but it actually means a lot. But last night, one of the bartenders at Top Secret Comedy was like, because they see a lot of comedians and a lot of big ones. And he was like asking who was on. And he was like, you and Nathan Caton are my two favorite comedians. At like, I think you're the best two comedians. And I'm like, well, and I was like, you're just like, say, he's like, no, really, I've seen so much comedy and you yeah. two are my favorite. And I was like, that is more of a compliment that, that you think it is. Like, that's really, yeah. Yeah. That was very sweet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Have you learned any key lessons that you sort of take forward and think, you know, these are, these are things I always have to remember and take with me from show to show. The best bit of comedy advice that I ever learned or heard. Mm-hmm is that you can't be seen too late. You can only be seen too early. And once somebody sees you, you can't unsee that. So <laughs> just wait until it's your time. Yeah. Um, that's probably the best advice that I've heard. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wish I'd heard earlier than I had. Um, but 
I don't know. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me about the shows that you're taking to Edinburgh, because you've mentioned already that you're taking uh, Comedy for the Curious up there. Um, yeah. Is that because of the, the panel nature of it? Is that different people each time? Or do you have because yes. you've got four rolling subjects. Have you got four rolling panels? No, I have different. Um, I have some comedians who have, who are doing more than one, um, but mm-hmm. different subjects. So no comedian is doing the same subject twice. Right. Uh, so and I have about probably 30 or 40 different guests right now. Um, I have a few mm-hmm. spaces left, but uh, so the four subjects are love. But I am breaking that down into two love and personality are such big subjects. And I think my bit will be, can only be about 10 minutes long. So I think every day I'm going to do love part one, love part two, personality, Mm -hmm. part one, personality, part two, and then accents and cats versus dogs. (laughs) So those are, it's technically love, personality, accents and cats versus dogs. Those are the four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you're also doing your solo show, Million Dollar Maybe. What's that all about? So that is about by visibility and whether or not we can prove anything is kind of the tagline. So Mm -hmm. the show um, basically parallels my story of realizing that I was bisexual five years ago, um, Mm -hmm. along with there's a sexual orientation scientist who published an article in lockdown, um, saying that there is evidence that bisexuals exist and that it's <laughs> me kind of basically looking into his history and who he is as a person um, mm. and his story across the year and whether or not that is a total bullshit thing to do uh, mm. to scientifically prove that we exist or if there is merit in that and whether or not you can, and looking in the bigger picture of the world, like, can mm. you actually prove anything yeah do you think attitudes in comedy towards basically people who aren't me straight white men um have changed i mean what's your been your impression yeah i mean i think for sure sometimes when you get on stage Mm -hmm. as a woman you can feel it's hard to describe but i feel like most female comedians would know what i'm talking about where you get on stage and there's this feeling in the room of like Oh, you're a woman. And that mm-hmm. happens a lot less than it used to. Like I okay. nowadays I can remember, I can like pinpoint certain gigs where I'm like, um, yeah, like mm-hmm. it, I mean, it happened a couple months ago that yeah, it was just was a lot harder work. And then the headliner is also female. And afterwards she said the exact same thing that I was thinking. And we're both like, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's one yeah. of those. But now, I mean, that happens a lot less, like a lot less right. now, which is great. Yeah. But I think more, I think people are wanting more voices. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. <laughs> so when are your, when and where can we see the shows? Okay. Uh, so Million Dollar Maybe is at 5 p.m. every day at Gilded Balloon TV at, um, in the balcony room. Uh, except for the fifth, not the 15th. Yep. Um, and Comedy for the Curious is on every day at 8 p.m. at 32 Below, which is uh, part of Counting House or next to Counting House, basically in that Counting House yep. complex, um, mm-hmm. yeah, 8 p.m. every day, not the 15th. Yeah. yeah. Well, so where can we follow you? Where can we find you on social media? Yes, I am Robin H. Perkins. So it's Robin with a Y uh, mm-hmm. and Instagram and Twitter. 
and Miss Robin Perkins on Facebook. Okay. Uh, links to those in the shows will be in the show notes. So finally, Robin, can you sum up comedy in a nutshell? I'm going to need another hour. Um, <laughs> it has to fit in the nutshell. That's the premise. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> comedy is fun, smart, and limitless. Nice. Is that, is, does that fit in a nutshell? Yeah. It could have a larger nutshell if you, it could have a whole coconut shell if you want to. Oh. <laughs> okay. No, I think I want to leave it there. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. So I appreciate you taking part. Thank you for coming. No, thank you for having me. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 